Hey, good morning. It's about time uh, we uh, begin our morning Bible class this morning. Again, Christian apologetics. We'll have a, a couple more classes, so uh, we'll, we'll uh, have a class this Sunday on the topic, and then uh, next, next Sunday will be our last Sunday uh, discussing uh, this uh, topic of Christian apologetics. But if you've been with us the past couple of weeks, we have been looking at the, uh, the deity of Christ. You know, was Christ who he said he was? Was Christ who the scriptures uh, tell us he was? Uh, you know, we, a couple of classes ago, we sort of documented the historical Jesus. Right? We, we looked at a lot of the, uh, the evidences in secular history about Jesus. You know, what did historians write about, them, write about him or if he, they even did? And uh, then uh, we, last week, we looked at the miracles of Jesus. We, we saw what the Bible said as far as Jesus uh, doing miraculous work. And we uh, you know, concluded that, um, that those things were um, you know, correct. That the scripture tells us that, uh, that, that Jesus performed miracles. And uh, even though there may be uh, many who uh, won't believe that, uh, we, we sort of, you know, kind of set the steps in motion to show, and I should have fast-forwarded this to get us to where we need to go. So let me do that right now. Yeah, so we, we, we proved that the miracles of Jesus through Scripture were correct by, you know, considering the size of the audiences that he uh, performed these miracles in. We, we considered the way his enemies reacted uh, to the works of Jesus. Uh, we considered that, you know, again, more than one New Testament author reported these things. It wasn't just one source that was telling us that Jesus performed miracles, but it came from many different uh, authors in the New Testament. And we talked about the types of miracles he performed. You know, these weren't things that were done back in a closet or a sleight of hand magic tricks, but these were, again, out in front of many individuals. They were immediate. They were noteworthy. And uh, then we, um, you know, again, uh, ended with, you know, they defied uh, natural explanations. And so uh, this morning, as we continue the thought of the deity of Christ, we want to uh, focus in on probably, uh, you know, the greatest miracle that was performed, which was uh, Jesus's resurrection. Let me ask you this, you know, if you're you know, let's say you're at McDonald's, you know, you're enjoying your dinner and then a man stands up and he announces to everyone there that, uh, you know, he had a good friend who passed away. Uh, he was buried three days ago, but he has risen. Uh, and he also says that we should all, you know, drop everything that we're doing and start spreading the news about this amazing uh, miracle. You know, what would you do in that moment? A lot of us would, you know, I don't know about this guy, right? um, You probably, you're probably just going to, you're going to finish your meal, you're going to throw your trash away, and you're just going to go on with your daily life, your daily activities. But, you know, suppose that you're in Bible class for the first time. You know, this is your first time in Bible class this morning, and the teacher declares that there was this man named Jesus Christ who died and was buried for three days and rose again, right? Uh, again, a very you know a similar uh, situation described. But what makes this story of Jesus uh, 
any different than the man uh, that declared his friend rose from the dead at McDonald's. What makes it different? Why should a person believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? Those are some questions that we'll want to uh, discuss here uh, this morning. And so let's notice that, you know, the facts, there, there we go. You know, the, the facts support the claims, right? We know uh, the story of Jesus. One of the most amazing features in the New Testament, of course, is, you know, the complete trustworthiness of its facts. Uh, you know, just, just in uh, data alone, you know, the city locations and names of government officials that we read of, especially in the book of Acts, you know, that we can verify that those things uh, are true in secular history. But, of course, archaeology, Right? Archaeology is one of the greatest assets that the Christian has because we are continually you know, digging up uh, ruins uh, over in the Middle East and continually um, you know, finding things that just time and time again match up with what the scriptures say. Uh, never has anything been discovered, uh, been you know, found that has contradicted uh, the scriptures. You know, hundreds of such things have confirmed the Bible, even in the smallest detail. And so, uh, because of uh, the New Testament exhibiting this kind of accuracy, you know, of course we want to give it the same respect that we give any other reliable source of information. And so, in order for us to, you know, verify, to prove that that Jesus rose from the dead, um, you know, we want to look at what uh, the scriptures uh, say to those things. So, you know, if you have your Bibles, uh, I'm going to start off in uh, Psalm chapter 16, in verse 10 in particular. And this, uh, I'll put the, some of these references up here on the board. Uh, Psalm chapter 16, verse 10. You know, King David, you know, of course, he lived close to a thousand years before Jesus, you know, ever walked on the earth. And in one of his Psalms that he wrote, in Psalm 16 in particular, uh, he, he, is ex- he is prophesying uh, of the resurrection. Again, uh, notice what he writes in Psalm 16, uh, verse 10. He says, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. Or uh, maybe your translation says, uh, nor will your Holy One see uh, corruption. So David is, you know, he's writing this inspired uh, by the Holy Spirit. Uh, you know, do, does David know what he's talking about? You know, yeah, I see some heads shaking no. You know, David, uh, you know, you know, I would say most likely does not know uh, that what he is writing under uh you know, under the influence again, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, uh, that he's um, prophesying about the resurrection of of Jesus. Uh, let, me, let me notice with you a passage in First Peter, First uh, Peter chapter one, verses ten through twelve. Peter said this: uh, As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches. An inquiry, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating, as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. 
It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things, which now have been announced to you through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. And I read those three long verses just to, you know, just kind of reaffirm this thing that the, that the prophets, you know, they wrote uh, about uh, things that, you know, would not happen for thousands of years later. And they didn't necessarily understand what they were writing about. You know, they, they searched, they inquired. It says even at the end of there that the, the angels even, even longed to look for, you know, who was going to be the Christ and when that time was going to be. But they didn't know. But of course, again, back in Psalm chapter 16, verse 10, you know, David records this, this, uh, this, this psalm for us. And uh, what he records again is, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. Now, Peter, in Acts chapter 2, uses this exact verse and applies it to uh, Jesus. Uh, notice in Acts chapter 2, Verse 27, if I can get there. Acts chapter 2, verse 27. Of course, Peter is preaching the first gospel sermon, the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. And he, in verse 27, Acts chapter 2, quotes Psalm 16, verse 10, speaking of Jesus. It says, because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo a decay. He is taking the verse from Psalm 16, 10, that, that David uh, prophesied about and he is applying it to uh, Jesus right that, that Jesus uh, would not his, his soul would not be left in um, Sheol or Hades uh, those are uh, one in the same right in the New Testament we refer to the the realm of the dead as the Hadian realm and the, the Old Testament refers to it as the word Sheol s-h-e-o-l um, but your soul will not be left in Hades, nor will uh, he allow your Holy One to see corruption or decay, right? Because the body of Jesus never went through those things. And so uh, David, again, is prophesying a thousand years before the reign uh, of Christ, before Christ would come on the earth. Uh, he is foretelling of uh, the, the resurrection. Again, this is evidence supporting uh, this. Of course, Jesus, we know that Jesus, uh, during his time on the earth, uh, many times uh, he proclaimed these things. Uh, John chapter 2, verse 19, for instance, is probably one of the, the earliest of his, de of his declarations. Uh, John chapter 2, verse 19, where, where Jesus answered them. Uh, he was talking about his... Uh, well, in, in, those, uh, in that context, he is talking about cleansing of the temple. Remember, he goes into the temple and, and cleanses it uh, from the money changers and the animals that were in there. And in verse uh, 19, he says, you know, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Well, you know, is Jesus, are, is Jesus and the people he's talking to on the same page? Are they talking about the same thing? No, when Jesus says, I'm going to destroy this temple, what is he referring to? 
his body, right? He, he's referring to his body. The, the, those around him are, you know, they're thinking the physical. They're thinking about the temple that they're standing near, that Jesus is saying that he's going to destroy that and then he's going to build it back in three days. But what he is referring to is his body. He, again, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Again, he is referring to, you know, his resurrection, uh, that he was going to be crucified, be buried and on that Friday. And then Saturday and then Sunday be resurrected from the dead. Uh, Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 through 40. We have another instance where Jesus again is referring to uh, his resurrection. Uh, this time, he, uh, you know, the, the people are desiring for a sign. You know, they, they want Jesus to give them a sign. Uh, then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. And then Jesus said in verse 39, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign will given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You know, this is uh, something that I haven't studied too much about, but we know that you know in the scriptures there are things that are that are called types and they're anti-types. You know, we, we see a type uh, in the, the Old Testament and then it comes to fruition in the New Testament, and we sometimes refer to that as the anti-type. You know, um, the, the the ark, the ark that Moses built was a type of the church in the New Testament. Uh, here we have Jonah. Uh, is a type of Jesus. Jonah was inside the, the belly of this great fish for three days and three nights, uh, just like Jesus is going to be uh, in the tomb, uh, you know, those three days and, and three nights in the heart of the earth, he says. So again, Jesus, the point is, is that, you know, Jesus again is foretelling his resurrection. You know, again, we can look at another scripture in Mark chapter 8, verses uh, 31 and 32. You know, notice the reaction of those around him uh, when he does it this time. Mark chapter 8, verses 31 uh, and 32. And he began to teach them uh, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he was stating the matter plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Uh, but turning around and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, "Get behind me, Satan! For we are not setting, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's." You know, here is another instance where Jesus is uh, prophesying uh, or uh, uh, you know letting them know uh, that he is going to have to go to the cross, uh, that he is going to die on the cross and be buried, uh, but that after you know three days he's going to rise again. You know, and Peter. Peter speaks up, right? And he says, that's not going to happen. I'm not going to let anyone, uh, you know, get to you, kill you. Um, he was very adamant about this. And, uh, you know, Satan, or excuse me, then Jesus had to rebuke Peter, right? Get, he calls him Satan to his face there in verse 33. Get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's, right? This is God's plan for, for Jesus to go to the cross, uh, so that this, uh, this great miracle can take place. You know, Jesus made the point so clear that even you know, the, the, the Pharisees um, could not miss it. 
Right? They just couldn't miss it. Notice in Matthew uh, 27. Matthew 27, starting in verse uh, 63. This, is, this, of course, is you know, after Jesus dies on the cross, after he is crucified and buried. In Matthew chapter 27, starting in verse 63, uh, they say, And sir, uh, we remember that when he was still alive... Uh, that deceiver said, uh, after three days, I am going to rise again. Okay, so th- th- these are the enemies of Jesus, right? And so they say, remember when he was alive, he, w- he kept telling everyone that he was going to rise again after three days. So he says in verse 64, therefore, give orders for the grave to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal him away and say to the people, he has risen from the dead. And the last deception will be worse than the first. And Pilate said to them, you have a guard, go make it as secure as you know how. And they went and made the grave secure. And along with the guard, they set a seal on the stone. You know, they did everything that they could to, uh, you know, stop uh, what they thought was a hoax, right? I mean, they put a guard in front of the tomb. They sealed it up. Uh, they, of course, they put the stone in front of the tomb. Uh, they had a guard put out in place. But yet, you know, Scripture is going to tell us that that tomb is, is going to be empty. The fact that Jesus' tomb was empty, you know, it cannot be uh, denied through the Scriptures. Going back to Acts chapter 2. You know, Peter on that day stood before, you know, 3,000 people and um, proudly or boldly proclaimed that the tomb where Jesus was laid uh, was empty. Um, you know, notice Acts chapter 2, verse 29, because he, he calls them out. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 29, he says, Brethren, you know, I may confidently, excuse me, I may confidently say to you, Regarding the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us this day. Right? Jesus, or excuse me, uh, da- Peter is saying, listen, you know, we're here in Jerusalem. If you don't believe that uh, Jesus rose from the dead, you know, I challenge you, go, go look at the tomb. Right? David's tomb is still here to this day. Uh, go look at the tomb of Jesus and tell us if there uh, is a body. You know, we're in walking distance. You know, we're right here. Uh, so he offers or challenges them to do this. Um, but the Jewish leaders, however, we know, uh, could not refute the fact that the tomb was empty. Do you remember what they did instead? Instead of going to the tomb... Let's look in Matthew chapter 28. Let's notice what uh, the Jewish leaders did. Matthew 28, starting in verse 11 through 15. I actually just noticed that I had the answer up on the board. But uh, Matthew 28, verse 11 through 15. Uh, Notice uh, we have, it says, Now while they were on their way, some of the guard came into the city, and reported to the chief priests all that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders 
and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, you are to say his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this should come to the governor's ears, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money and did as they had been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews. And it is to this day. So what did they do? Yeah, they, they fabricated a story. And we'll kind of see that, you know, this story is just, it's not going to hold up. Uh, They're forced to fabricate this lie that Christ's disciples stole the body while the guards slept. And of course, this, you know, this, uh, this excuse is not a good one because what would happen to a Roman soldier if he fell asleep at his post? Yeah, we, we know from other places in scripture that if a Roman soldier uh, fell asleep on the job, uh, he was subject to death. And we see that in Acts chapter 12, for instance, uh, in uh, verse 19. Uh, the, uh, Peter was arrested and uh, he, he was miraculously released from jail. Acts chapter 12, verse 19, it says that when Herod had searched for him and had not found him, he examined the guards and ordered that they be led away to execution. Uh, then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and was spending time there. Right? If, if you were a Roman guard and you were assigned you know, to keep watch of this tomb and you fell asleep, uh, you were most likely going to not lose your job, but lose your life. Right? You, were, you were going to be executed. So, you know, this, uh, this excuse, this lie that they're fabricating, uh, you know, it's, it's not a good one because uh, whoever was in charge of that tomb is uh, possibly going to lose their life uh, by saying that, uh, that they had guarded the tomb, but that while they were asleep, you know, Jesus' disciples came and stole the body away. Think about this. If they were asleep... How did they know who took the body? If they were truly asleep, how did they know that it was the disciples of Jesus who came and took the body of Jesus? Or also, you know, how many of you are sound sleepers? Do you think you could sleep through somebody rolling away a, a giant stone from a tomb and stay, stay sleeping the whole time? You know, probably be a pretty uh, loud process. So again, you know, we can poke holes through uh, this, this, uh, you know, this excuse, this lie that, that the Jewish leaders are making up here in Matthew, uh, again, Matthew 28, uh, verses 11 through 15, uh, because they, of course, you know, they, they don't want uh, Christianity to keep spreading. They don't want uh the Jews and, you know, eventually then the Gentiles to keep uh, converting to Christianity. So they make up this great lie. They get soldiers involved, right? They pay them off. Uh, they instruct them with uh, large sums of money to, you know, spread this story that the disciples came uh, during one of those days, one of the three days while he supposedly, supposedly was in the tomb and stole the body of Jesus, Right, but we, we know that you know, when the tomb was um, 
was opened on those three days, right, that it, that it was empty, but it wasn't because of that. It wasn't because somebody came and stole the body away. You know, the, the night that Jesus was arrested uh, in Gethsemane, you know, you know, it was a bleak time. Right? It was a rough time for his disciples. You know, if you remember, you know, hours before Jesus was arrested, you know, what, how were they acting? I mean, they were standing by his side, right? They were saying they were willing to go to death for Jesus. You know, remember Peter, even when the mob came, you know, he pulled out his, his sword and cut off the, the ear of the one man, uh, the slave of the high priest. Uh, they were ready to uh, fight for Jesus. But when, you know, the moment came, when Jesus said, put down your sword, you know, this has to happen. When that moment came, what happened to the disciples? Yeah, they disappeared. They scurried in fear. They fled. And we, all, we famously know Peter, uh, you know, who was one of the closest to Jesus. He denies Jesus three times. They were scared for their lives, right? Their, their hopes were dashed for this, uh, this great leader that they were looking for who was going to start a, you know, a, a governmental revolt over the Roman Government, because again, they're always constantly thinking the physical. They're thinking that you know this Messiah is going to come and and um, build this this physical kingdom with with soldiers and armies. Uh, but that's not how Jesus came. And so they are running from anyone uh, who might connect them with Jesus of Nazareth. Right? They don't want to be associated with him anymore. Uh, we see in Scripture, but you know. Uh, it took only a week, right, before Jesus um, appeared to them again and uh, proclaimed that he uh, rose from the grave. And now we see a different side to the apostles, right? They were uh, being arrested. Uh, they were beaten, lashed, imprisoned, threatened. And none of those things could stop them from preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, notice in, in Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, verses 18 uh, through 20. It says, uh, when, when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. So what happened? What happened from only a week ago when, when they were running, they were dispersing, they were scared, they didn't want to be seen with Jesus, they didn't want to be known as somebody who followed Jesus, and now they're willing to be beaten and uh, you know, taking uh, those lashes, and they were um, the, telling the, these officials that they just can't stop speaking about Jesus. What happened in between those two things? Right, yeah, it was the resurrected Jesus. Right? Jesus was resurrected from the dead. That's the only thing that makes sense of why these men and women uh, would change tune just like that. Um, James, uh, and when we talk about James, we're talking about the apostle James, the brother of John. Uh, we know in Acts chapter 12, uh, verse 2, 
uh, that he becomes the first apostle who was martyred uh, for the, the sake of Christianity. And, we, we, and that's recorded for us in history, so we, or excuse me, in, uh, in Scripture. So we know that uh, you know, that's true. Uh, but the, the, the Scriptures don't tell us about how the other apostles uh, met their fate. But history does record that all of them, except for the apostle John, were martyred. Uh, we believe John died at, in an old age. Of course, he, you know, he is the one who wrote Revelation, and so we know that he was a, a long, or around quite longer than all the other apostles. But history tells us that all the other apostles of Jesus died a martyr's death, just like James. You know, what made these men you know, risk their lives, risk their families' lives uh, for, uh, you know, for, this, for this hope? And again, you know, it was because they saw uh, the resurrected Jesus. They saw that. It, it would be ridiculous to believe that these men, again, would risk their lives for such a lie. It would be. It would be. Let, let's uh, talk about another aspect of um, evidence. Uh, well... Maybe we don't have time for that. Well, yeah, we, we'll do because we'll finish it up last week. But another aspect of evidence that we see in Scripture. Who, let me ask you this. Who are some of the first witnesses of the resurrected Jesus? Was it the apostles? I hear some no's. Women. Yeah, look at Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, uh, verses 5 through 8. So we have the, so we have some of the close women who were, you know, Jesus' disciples at the time. And they are at the tomb on that Sunday morning. And it says in verse 5 that, you know, an angel appeared to the women. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said, come, see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his uh, disciples. What do we know about first century culture uh, when it comes to uh, you know, how people in the first century treated uh, women. Is it different than today? Is it different than when Christianity had an influence on the world? Yeah, we, we know that it was. And so this is a great testimony to Scripture, a great, great testimony to uh, or the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. Because if you were, especially the book of Matthew, 
uh, the book of Matthew, you know, Matthew was a Jewish man, a tax collector. Uh, he wrote this. Uh, you know, he's writing to a Jew. Yeah, he's writing to a Jewish audience. He's trying to convince them that this man Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, you know, that's why Matthew uses a lot of Old Testament uh, scriptures. Uh, that's why he gives that um, that big line of ge- uh, that big genealogy uh, in the beginning, because he's trying to convince Jews, Jewish men, uh, that Jesus was the Christ. If Matthew is trying to convince, uh, you know, the, the Jews, uh, again, that Jesus was who he said he was, would it be wise for him to use the, the testimony of, uh, of women in the first century to do that based on, you know, the culture that that was? That probably wouldn't have been wise, right? Because, uh, again, in the first century... Uh, during that time, you know, women were not uh, seen as uh, credible witnesses. But we have here in Scripture that they were the star witnesses. Again, Matthew chapter 28, verses 5 through 8. They were the star witnesses, the first ones to see uh, the resurrected Jesus, according to Matthew's account. And again, that is, uh, you know, that is a testimony uh, to the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus. We're going to stop here for this morning. Uh, I know we have, a, we have one more week to, to finish this out, conclude these thoughts on uh, apologetics, uh, this lesson on apologetics, and then uh, hopefully at the beginning of the year and somewhere in January, we're going to start a, a series on the life of Christ, and we're going to go through you know, all the gospel accounts uh, chronologically and you know, look at, see. Uh, so I'm excited about that study as we uh, go through of the life of Christ, but again, next week we'll we'll conclude our thoughts on uh, the resurrection. And so, uh, I believe Brother Mike left, so I'll go ahead and close our our prayer for us uh, this 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 morning.